0: Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is your host, DPT Steph, your doctor of physical therapy, bringing you all things PT with an interdisciplinary approach so that you can be the best clinician that you want to be. Thank you for tuning in to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is Stephanie, your doctor of physical therapy, otherwise known as DPT Steph. On this episode, we'll be talking with Dr. Kelly Reed, a doctor of physical therapy who practices in lymphedema, oncology, and a little bit of pelvic health, too. I'm so excited to have Kelly on the podcast. To get us started, why don't you give us a little introduction about yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks, Steph, for having me. So I'm a physical therapist. I work out of Minneapolis, Minnesota area. I currently work in an outpatient orthopedic setting. Um, that being said, I don't treat orthopedics. So I am an oncology and lymphoma specialist. And, and like Steph said, yes, I do a little bit of pelvic health as well. Um, I've been there about eight years now. This will be my eighth year. Um, and I actually, actually, I started in neuro um, in the same setting or in the same outpatient setting and have transitioned um, to the oncology and lymph. So, um, but yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it and I've fallen in love with it. So.
0: Very cool. What made you decide to go into this kind of setting or work with these kinds of patients? Yeah. So like I said, I went to PT school thinking
1: that I was going to do neuro. I I love neuro. Um, My grandfather had polio or post polio, and I just wanted to do neuro. Um, And so when I did my clinicals, so I went to school at the Mayo Clinic. When I did my clinicals, I had one on an acute floor for, I don't know, about seven weeks. I spent one week with the therapist who is their breast cancer and lymphedema therapist. So that was it. That's all the exposure I got in school. I know oncology is usually brushed on, but I know a lot of programs are still not really diving into oncology. So that's all I knew. I graduated in 2013 and I worked in an outpatient neuro position exactly what I wanted to do. I was really lucky to get that spot I wanted right out of school. And then about a year, year and a half in, my employer was talking about expanding. They wanted to expand their cancer rehab program and their lymphedema program. And they want to see if anyone wanted to go and sign up and do some of the courses and get certified. And I was like, oh, well, I did that one week on a random clinical that I kind of liked it, and so I was like, "Well, I'll try it." Like I enjoyed that one week I had, um, so I went and did the training. I started um, just doing half neuro on um, for my job, and then half on collagen lymph, and I just. Honestly, I started to fall more and more in love with the oncology and lymphedema. And so I would say about five years ago, ago now, I have just done oncology and lymphedema and a
0: little public health full time. So a little bit of a roundabout way to get there. Um, but yeah, it it was pretty random how it came to be. Yeah, and that's awesome. It's definitely a unique way of getting there. Like you said, I think you truly found what you loved and you made it work. So I mean, that's what matters in the end, right? Um, yeah what kind of patients do you see on a day-to-day basis? Are they um, oncology patients that all need lymphedema type services? Is it a mix? Are people with current treatment or all in remission? Tell us a little bit about what you see.
1: Yeah, so our program is pretty large. Um, we we do have a lot of therapists in this program, so we're a little bit more well known, which makes it easier for referrals. So we have a couple different groups that we get referred to us. Um, the, the main one, the most popular one that I think a lot of students probably have exposure to is breast cancer. So we do get individuals, um, if we can get them before their their cancer treatment or surgery, we, we will, but that's rare because they're usually getting pushed through surgery quickly. Um, but we'll get them right after and we'll do at least one session that will um, get volume measurements of their arm for screening for lymphedema. We'll educate them on um, signs and symptoms to watch for. Um, we'll look, we'll address their pain. Um, we'll address their range of motion. And and then if they have radiation, we'll address the tightness they get from the radiation. So it's very individualized, but, but most of our breast cancer group will come into us at least one time. And we also get the same thing for anyone doing um, pancreatic surgery or esophageal or anything um, that, you know, is a little bit longer recovery, a lot of times the doctors will refer to us before if the patient, you know, won't tolerate the surgery. I mean, their activity tolerance is really poor, their endurance is poor, they're really weak going in. We'll get referrals for that, and then we'll get them post-op as well. Um, We get prostate, um, ovarian, I get, a lot of ovarian because of my pelvic health background. Same with the other gynecological cancers. So it really varies, but I will say, for the most part, right now, cancer rehab really makes up post treatment or during treatment or post. So
0: very very cool. I know I, I I experienced a little oncology PT myself when I was in, but it was the acute care setting. um There's a in Manhattan here. They have the. Uh, I'm drawing blanks on words right now, um, acute care oncology ho- or hospital. So, um, all of our patients were the most complex to like neuro or brain, different types of brain cancers all the way down to, I know one patient, I even had like a vaginoplasty where they couldn't sit and we were like hoisting yeah. them up out of bed. And it was the craziest <laughs> of things. when you have someone who can't sit and you have to get them out of bed to do other exercises. Um, So I know seeing like the total acute side of it and we, even in the setting that I work in now, we do have some breast cancer patients that we work with the plastics team after a mastectomy or other uh, issues where where they get breast flaps. So I can't imagine seeing them even later down the road when, you know, now they're out of the hospital, because I'm sure the movements or the pain tolerances, or or if they're actively seeking treatment, it's, it's so many different factors than you would possibly imagine. Yeah. And I will
1: say, we we get a lot of that and we get a lot of just post op pain because a lot of these surgeries are almost outpatient now. Like you'll see some acute, but a lot of them get pushed right through to home. Um, and so we're getting, we're the first ones to see them sometimes to an outpatient. I have had individuals 30, 40 years out of their treatment. Um, I just had a woman about 30, 35 years out of her um, breast cancer surgery and radiation and had never had therapy, had never had supp- yet was living with pain for those so many years and her motion was her shoulder motion was awful um and she was just really tight and fibrotic and you know it took us a little bit longer than it would someone you know three months out but we still had the opportunity and she still made significant progress so it's a really cool area as a therapist because it doesn't matter if they're right out of surgery or years and years later, you still have a lot to offer these patients. And it's a lot about their quality of life at that point, you know, living with pain for 30 years when you don't have to, and it's something we could have addressed. um, You know, that's that's a big deal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great point to make too, is like, you don't need the rehab necessarily. I mean, Not that you don't need, but I should say that the rehab doesn't always happen right after surgery. And even if you were to get it much later, you're still dealing with complications or other issues. There is help that you can get. And I think that's a great point to make. Um, I like that you also touched upon, you know, more functionality aspect of it. Like it's a quality of life standpoint. Um, When I was in the oncology uh, affiliation that I had, We had a patient, unfortunately, who was near end of life and we thought he was going home one weekend and then unfortunately uh, deconditioned pretty quickly. So they weren't able to get him home. And although our goal with him wasn't necessarily to make him stronger because uh, he was, like I said, at the end of life, we were able to just do more functional things where it was getting him to the bathroom or just being able to sit sit in a chair to eat a meal. Um, so it's definitely a great aspect to think about, because I'm sure you've seen a variety of different stages, uh, if people are actively in treatment or not, just kind of going through the different motions. But yes, we can worry about range of motion, but we'll also need to think about more of the functional aspect of it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You get all stages of, of cancer coming through the doors, then um, some for hospice, some for palliative care, um, and you you just meet them where they're at, give them the most function and the, the best quality of life you possibly can. So
0: for sure. What do you think is a good way for students to get involved? Because you said earlier too, and I agree with this, we don't learn about it in school merely as maybe a day. I think maybe we had a day or two myself. I know some programs probably don't even get that. So what do you think is the best way if this topic is interesting, whether it's oncology or lymphedema, for students to get involved or to find out more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, The Academy, so American Physical Therapy Association has the Oncology Academy um, section and they, that's a great group. That's where I've kind of gotten, I've dove in and and met a lot of people and learned a lot from this group. They have a listserv asking questions about cases, but they have um, on their website now, you can go and see who's doing um, internships or clinical rotations, who's taking students. I'm trying to see if you're, you know, if you're, if you're a student and you're trying to get placed somewhere, see if that's an opportunity to learn a little bit more. Um, They have um, Twitter, they're active on Twitter, and they also have a student group that I believe just started up on Instagram, Twitter, and I think YouTube as well. Um, So I would dive into there. There's a lot of conversations they do a lot of guest speakers learn a little bit more um we are a smaller group um but we are a very vocal group and so you can find things out there especially on social media for sure um
0: and then tying into social media that's how we connected so how Mm -hmm. have you how long have you had your platform i know you also you have instagram but you also have youtube and how what's your vision with it and has it changed since you started it to kind of what it is now
1: yeah absolutely so i started instagram i would say summer of 2019 so just over a year not very long and i started it because i was treating individuals they were coming from out of state we do have a a a well-known program and so we do get some from out of state And the things I was seeing and hearing um, just shocked me a little bit. And I think that was probably just naive on my part, but I had one individual coming from uh, just a more rural area, didn't have access, but had this significant amount of swelling in her arm after breast cancer for five years. And that was five years ago. And it was Very obvious to me the moment she walked in that she had severe lymphedema, Um, but she had never heard that term before, and it it shocked me a little bit that you could go through all of that care and somehow that got missed. And I just think that's just it's we're just not everyone's educated on it, and including Mm -hmm. you know students, I guess, because we didn't learn a whole lot either. Um, And so I just saw that there was a huge void. Uh, missing for some of this education on oncology and what cancer rehab can do, um, and then as well as you know just lymphedema care in general. So I started there just because I wanted to educate. I wanted to educate individuals going through it, but also family members of like, hey, if you see these issues, someone can help you. Like that's something we can address. So I started that, and then YouTube I started right before, or right around when um, COVID started, and I originally just started it for my patients because I was trying to teach them how to do these self cares and it was just hard to teach um on a piece of paper so I wanted to show with a video and it just grew from there and so um same thing just been building up anything I can do to help educate
0: for sure that's awesome uh, I want to circle back a little bit too because I wanted to ask this earlier but so I know you mentioned that you do get referrals and then now you also have you know populations from out of state what do you, or do you have, or feel like you work with, whether it's MDs or just an, uh, I guess, people on an interdisciplinary team, and how do you incorporate that into your practice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am lucky enough that I get to work with a physiatrist right in my office. Um, and so, and she's just a cancer rehab specialist. So I'm lucky in that end of that I got a lot of exposure right away. However, I will say, you know, Cancer oncology in general is a massive team approach. You have the MDs, but within that, you have the oncologists, you have the radiation oncologists, the hematologists. I mean, the list goes on. And then you also have the dietitians you have acupuncturists, you have psychology. Um, and so it's just a really long list. Speech therapy is popular too. Um, and so you really learn to network in your area. And, and so if I am notice someone's really having trouble with their nutrition, I will reach out to their doctor, but I'll also probably pass on to a dietitian. Um, same thing with pain. Some people will go the holistic pro- approach and do massage and acupuncture and we have oncology specialists in those areas too that we know. And so we get a lot of referrals from outside the box, but I will say in general, um, most of mine do come from
0: the breast surgeons, the plastic surgeons, and then our physiatry team. Right. And then you have to keep in, I guess, I I wouldn't say constant, but frequent communication with them as well, because there it's a constant ongoing or not, I no. keep saying constant, but it's an ongoing issue because it's cancer just doesn't end once the treatment ends. Obviously, there's a bunch of aftercare things that are involved as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's a massive continuum of care, um, and so you know,
1: pre-treatment, during treatment, after treatment. And then long-term survivorship and these patients are having to go back to their oncologist um, once a year and, okay, what are your issues? Okay, then you let's go to, re, you know, refer out to rehab, or refer out to dietary or whatever it is. And so, and you're in constant communication, okay, you should go back to the doctor or your surgeon for this. Um, you should just follow up with your primary care provider for this. So you, you just have to follow along with everyone. You have to know who's on the team. And yeah, we, we do have a lot of team conversations for patients.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure another person that's part of the team that a lot of people might not think about, too, is maybe the patient's caregiver or their family for support. So how have you, I don't know if they're present in sessions, how have you communicated with these family members or caregivers to, like, through education or whether it's they're in-person or if it's through the phone or through paperwork, et cetera, how involved or how have you been able to success- successfully communicate with them when it comes to a plan of care?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, COVID has probably changed that a little bit because we yeah. turned not to have <laughs> as many people, but but in general, yes, especially when it comes to someone who has lymphedema and needs help with wrapping and bandaging and donning and doffing compression, um, we bring them in if we can. And we have pictures and booklets and videos on step-by-step, Step, um, but that having that caregiver, that support there is, is a really big deal. So we have them practice and we give them feedback so that they can carry over to home and help out. Um, a lot of family members are just really involved trying to help, um, the patients, you know, go for walks for their exercise or do their, their weightlifting or cooking them dinner based on what their dietary needs are. So, you know, we try to pull them in at least to a couple sessions if we can, and
0: just kind of keep them on, on board with what we're doing. For sure. That's awesome. And I like that you know, you mentioned before too. Obviously, things are different now. So, over with COVID, the pandemic made people are in quarantine. How have things changed or stayed the same? What practice, what in the practice has changed that you either physically can't do or can do? Because obviously, it's a very PT in general is obviously very close with patients, but you know, now with lymphedema type treatments, you're even more hands on. So, how has the pandemic or COVID impacted? your day-to-day or just in general what you do?
1: Yeah, I, I would say this is twofold. So first I would go with how it affected us and how we practice. We, being an outpatient setting, we did kind of close for a couple of weeks, not completely, but unless you were post-stop, you probably were cut off for a little bit. Um, I was probably off for, for about a week or so. It wasn't dramatic, came back virtual. So we did, we tried for a month trying to teach people exercises and stretches and stuff virtually. Uh, we know quickly that for lymphedema, that is challenging if they are new, um, which a lot of them are, they don't have supplies. So we did make our way back to in-person um, with just full PPE and, and trying to educate. Um, again, we couldn't have visitors for a while. So trying to, you know, videotape for a caregiver sometimes if you're we trying to show them something. Um, and so that just slowed it down. But I would say now, what I'm really, really noticing is the individuals or patients that kind of got put on hold per se during the summer, you know, the cancer never stopped. So treatment did not stop. It was scaled. Like instead of a mastectomy, someone may have had just had a lumpectomy and might have to go back for a mastectomy. But anyways, just for, you know, less invasive surgeries, but um, we're seeing a lot more impairments, a lot more um, scar tissue, radiation fibrosis, even lymphedema, a lot more weakness, just things that weren't addressed sooner. And it really goes to show you how important it is to Really get to these things as early as possible. Um, we're still fixing, you know, we're we're still addressing them, but it is taking a lot longer. Um, the other piece to that, I think, for the oncology world, that really, really got hit that we don't even know um, the effects of yet is during the spring months when things really picked up in April, and May, prevention screenings went, you know, went to zero. So ninety-five percent of mammograms were stopped. colon mm. um, colonoscopies weren't being done. Um, just a lot of those testings were not being done. And the national, I think it's the National Cancer Institute just came out with the numbers that they expected to be over, you know, tens of thousands of people being diagnosed or, you know, unfortunately dying from cancer because they weren't that cancer was not caught. So, and I think another number is right now, the numbers are showing we have diagnosed 40% less cancer cases. That doesn't mean the cancer's not there. It just means they're not, we haven't found them yet. And so that is something that I think at least the oncology world is well aware of and almost in a way having to prepare for is seeing a lot of later stage of cancer um, and just, just a delay of people coming in and having more issues with that. So I think COVID's really affect
0: oncology um, greatly. Oh, for sure. And yeah, I can totally see, uh, yeah, everything was put on hold in those first several months. And, you know, it's, I can't imagine what a lot of people are unfortunately going to be going through. And it's definitely a very valid point that you know, we have to, this is now even you can tie it into like an outpatient PT standpoint if people are coming in for pain, like really emphasizing and screening for those red flags. Because unfortunately, mm-hmm. people might have misdiagnosis opportunities earlier in the year when they had their routine checkups or other things going on. So we need to be really aware that, you know, unfortunately, we we may be in the position where we have to be aware that we have to refer out and get things checked out. Um, but I think that's a really good point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense where, you know, those later stages you're you're going to see a lot more symptoms pop up with pain and unusual things. So yeah, absolutely knowing your red flags, referring out as quickly as you can and 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 moving on there. Yeah.
0: I know you mentioned um earlier too that your pel- pelvic PT is obviously not what a typical pelvic PT person may think of when they hear the term um, because you work with more gynecological cancer and obviously it's only a small portion of everything that you do. um, How would you say that your pelvic PT treatments per se are either different or similar to what I guess a non-oncology-based pelvic PT would do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I went through Herman and Wallace for my uh, pelvic PT uh, training and I still do treat the postpartums. Um, I still treat stress incontinence, urgent incontinence. I, I treat a lot of those things for public health. Um, my reason for going to get that training was originally to try to better support my gynecological group um, with, you know, their pain and you know, pain with intercourse, just pain in general, um, tightness, um, urinary issues. So I went in the mindset of just trying to teach gynecological issues, but you know, it carries over to the general population as well. And so I don't know that I change what I do. Um, I probably do more than I expected to as far as pelvic needy. Um, But at the end of the day, we treat them very similar. We just know that there's a couple different precautions Um, after something like radiation, and knowing the the health of the tissue too. So that's all that's different. So I I think a lot of oncology specialists um, who are not pelvic trained um, can definitely refer out just to a pelvic PT um, without the oncology background, because I can guarantee that they can
0: support them. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Um, To kind of segue off of that a little bit as well, In the next, I know I touched on this with another person I was just talking to, um, the APTA in like the year 2000 had the Vision 2020, and 20 years later, there were supposed to be XYZ things happening. So I've been asking everybody, where do you see either your practice or just the PT profession in general going in the next 5, 10, 15, maybe 20 years? Yeah, that's a good question.
1: I would say, you know, living in the oncology world, I'll probably stick over here. I think it's going to grow exponentially. I mean, it already has we are so I was part of I think about 50 of us that sat for the um, board certification oncology clinical specialist group in 2019 and so this is this is a brand new area but it's been around a while just hasn't been spoken about and I think we're gaining some traction um, sitting on some of the boards being a part of a lot of the conversation in the oncology world I think cancer rehab in general is going to grow a lot and Um, For physical therapists in general, every single one of them, doesn't matter what area they end up working in, will likely see some sort of cancer, you know, and show up in some way. Either someone has a history of it or will have it. Um, And so I would say just cancer rehab in general is going to keep growing. I think it's a great area to be in as a physical therapist. Um, There's just, again, there's very few of us. um, And so I could see that being an area that someone could really um, grow in their career as well. As far as physical therapy in general, um, I have to be honest, that's a great question. I think with COVID, I think I maybe was naive on how the area, how it was going. I think there's, you know, continuous need, I think with COVID, just knowing the long-term effects of it as well, um, there will be a need, but I I would hope that, you know, we as clinicians can step up and use our voices a little bit more in what we have to offer on the continuum and just the medical
0: world in general. Yeah, I for sure. And I like that you touched on too, no matter the setting, you most likely will work with the patient, who, if they're not, if they don't have active cancer or are going through treatment, they definitely will have a history. And I think I remember I posted on Instagram a while ago myself talking about my experience. And I remember I'm trying to emphasize that. And it kind of goes hand in hand with COVID. Now you're going to see patients that have a history of COVID. And they might come in for one problem, but you also have to be aware of I know we said red flags earlier, but you, they might have other current issues that stemmed from their past medical history. So no matter if you're in an outpatient clinic or acute care, make sure you really understand their past medical history and how it can impact them today and how to look for potential complications that you either have to work through or refer out to or get a different type of PT opinion on and so forth. And I think just being aware of that is super, super important.
1: Absolutely. 100%. I would say if I were to give any advice to students who are listening to this now, it would be that you know, in your classes, in your clinical rotations, anything you're doing, just try to get a, you know, learn from every area. Like if you go in, like I did, knowing that you wanted to do neuro, don't just go try to do neuro rotations, go do orthopedics, go do pediatrics, go do every, every one that you can possibly do that's outside of the box from what you do. Because I think a, that that's where I am in my career brought me from a one single week that I had on a rotation to where I am now, but also that I've, I really feel that I've taken little pieces of every single experience or clinical rotation I've had into my current practice, because you learn things that, you know, you don't see every day, but you're like, you know, that you will experience, you know, with every single patient based on their medical history.
0: Yeah. And I'm, if you guys can't see the video right now, because you're listening in, but I'm sitting here nodding along with Kelly, because I think these are so, so important to recognize. And I, again, I just also posted about this on Instagram. I'm telling every student possible, if you know you're going in for ortho, or you know you're going in for peds, you have to keep an open mind. And I know for my clinical fills, I had four that I was given in school. I had to do one that was, had to be outpatient ortho, one had to be inpatient. I fit those two requirements in the first two, and then I did a PEDS, and then I did an acute care oncology, and where did I end up in acute care? So I didn't get <laughs> swayed that way until my fourth clinical, um, and I had no prior acute care experience um, to PT school. So truly, you can end up in a completely un- unknown space, <laughs> um, and I think that's super, super important to recognize. because even if you still end up in outpatient ortho and thought you ended up, you knew you wanted to end up in that setting, you now have all of this other knowledge that you can incorporate into your treatments because you will never know what walks through that door and what knowledge you may have to have to help best help that patient. Absolutely. That's the best advice. Awesome. I'm going to leave it on a fun note. I've been asking everybody, what have you been doing In quarantine, outside of work, outside of PT life, that was fun, unique, different, what have you experienced? What do you think people should go out and do over these past few months? Some people have said baking bread. We've heard that before. (laughs) Give us something different.
1: Gosh, what I've been doing? Well, I live in Minnesota, so we don't have a lot of warm months up here. And so my whole summer was just about getting outside. We went and looked at just different local parks, um, different little hiking areas, and we tried to find as many as possible this summer, which was a little bit
0: out of our norm. So uh, that's what we tried to do. Anything, anything to be outside. I love it. I love it. Everyone's saying that they're getting outside. And I think it's true. We're cooped up with electronics all day. We're staring at Zoom screens or, you know, if you're not working or you're a student right now, you're even more cooped up with your head in the books or head in the computer. So I think that's super important. um, Super key. I love it. Anything, any big takeaways that we maybe didn't touch on yet that you want to leave us off with, Kelly? Um...
1: I don't think anything major I feel like I was able to speak my mind but again I would just encourage students just to to learn different things step out of the box uh, a little bit and try something new because you could end up like me in a completely different setting
0: based off of one single week in your entire three years (laughs) I love that that's perfect where can people find you on social media on the internet
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am known as Cancer Rehab PT on Instagram and then also on YouTube. If you search Cancer Rehab PT, um, I'll pop right
0: up on there as well. All right, perfect. Thank you again, Kelly, for joining in. It was so great to have you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Steph.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.